Channel. Good morning. It's wonderful to be back. Uh, I think I was here last November, wasn't it? Yeah, wonderful. It is, it is great to be with you again. And uh, what a joy to be able to share the Word of God. Thank you for the, for the team in leading us in worship. And, uh, and it's lovely to break bread together as well. I don't often get the chance to do that when I'm traveling around because different churches have different routines. Uh, but it was lovely, lovely to do that. And uh, I send my greetings from our home church. So I'm part of an Assemblies of God church in sunny Scunthorpe. Uh, over in North Lincolnshire, so straight across the country, the other other side of the country, and uh, I don't lead that church. I'm part of the uh, I'm part of the the the, the church. Serve there. Uh, my wife and I lead a small group, and uh, my uh, oldest daughter and her husband are on staff in the church. So it's wonderful to be led by your daughter, which is great. Um, but we're all very very well. We send our love. People are praying for you today, and uh, it's a great great joy to be sharing with you. And I love John's introduction today. Um, and the, the thing that I loved, uh, he lost me a bit on the science. I was a bit like, you know, I'm a bear of little brains, so I'm not always keeping up with the science. But what I loved about John's introductory thought today was this idea that God is vast. He is other. He fills the universe. Uh, we would use a, a gorgeous word for that. He's transcendent. Wow, amazing word, fantastic word. He's way out there. He, our brains, no matter how hard we work, can't really get our heads around who God is. He, he works very hard to communicate himself to us, but, but our brains melt a little bit. And, and if your brain doesn't melt a little bit when we think about the Lord, then we're probably not thinking about it properly. So, it, it, so if your brain's melting, it's okay. And I love that idea that the God we serve is other. But I loved what John brought to us, that, that the God who is other, the God who is transcendent, comes near. And I love this idea that we don't just serve a great God who's the creator and the sustainer of the universe. That's what we would believe. But he also wants to draw near to our moment, to our lives, to the intimacy of the everyday. And it's with that in mind that I want to pick up some beautiful, challenging words of Jesus, but I think they're really relevant to where we are. And I'm going to read something from Matthew chapter 6. If you've got a Bible with you and you want to follow a reading with me, why don't you grab your Bible, whatever form it's in, on your smartphone or your tablet, or even with pages like mine. And, uh, and you can follow that reading with me. Now, if you're a guest or you don't have a Bible, don't worry. I just want you to listen to these words as I read them. And these words are contained in what's sometimes referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Jesus bringing an amazing sermon about the kingdom of God. And when we examine this incredible sermon, which starts at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, goes all the way through to Matthew chapter 7 in the end, actually there's so many incredible things that Jesus is trying to communicate to us. Uh, and this is, a, this is a sermon I try to lean into constantly. Uh, and I try to hear what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I try to hear some of the things that Jesus wants for us. And we're going to break into this sermon sort of halfway through. We're sort of at the halfway point. And Jesus says these amazing words. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. So every word I'm about to read you is, are the words of Jesus. Okay, so you'll have to imagine Jesus with an Irish accent. Uh, so here we go. Are you ready? Here we go. Verse 25. Therefore... I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. So, do not worry. 
saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day, has enough trouble of its own. The other day, I got very, very excited driving through town because Tesco were advertising petrol at 159.9. Come on. (laughs) Who knew? Who knew that there would be a day when we would get excited at petrol being 159.9. Now, if you're a diesel driver, I'm really sorry. You're significantly higher than that. Uh, that's E10 unleaded petrol. In fact, my, my youngest daughter introduced me to a special app that when you hit on it, it tells you where all the cheapest petrol prices are everywhere in town. And, you know, to save three pence a litre, you drive 25 miles um, <laughs> to get that. But, hey, it's three pence a litre, right? That's... Let's do it. Uh, on Tuesday last, just gone, uh, it was my birthday. And, uh, I, and that, that was your cue to go, happy birthday. No, it's too late. It's too late. You missed the moment. Okay, we're moving on. Um, so Tuesday, I, it was my birthday. My wife on Monday night took me out for dinner. And I, I love a bit of steak. My oldest daughter's a vegetarian. Still haven't got over that, but I do love a bit of steak. And, uh, and so we went out to a steak restaurant and we went early. So it was about five o'clock and we were sitting down having our dinner. It was nice and quiet. And then from about half six, it started to fill up. And at about quarter to seven, uh, an older couple came in and they were positioned at the table just beside us. And they were talking away. And the guy who was serving us, who was absolutely delightful, I have to say, he was also serving them. And he begins as he began with us. He said, any special occasion tonight? And so uh, he said to the lady, is it a special occasion? She said, actually, we're celebrating our 52nd wedding anniversary. The guy went, wow, that's amazing. Like 52 years and you're still together and you still love each other and you're still eating steak together. So that's pretty amazing. And, uh, and so he went off with their drinks order and, and then was, was sort of going to come back. And when he came back, he said to the lady, are you ready to order. And Don and I were just, we were eating a bit of dessert together. So there's a bit of a lull in our conversation. And we heard the lady say this. She said, I'm just looking at the menu and I'm amazed that there's a piece of steak here on the menu that was more expensive than our honeymoon <laughs> 52 years ago. <laughs> oh, come on. And I sat there and thought, wow. That is staggering. If you'd have told that woman 52 years ago, in 52 years, you will celebrate your 52nd wedding anniversary and you'll spend more on one piece of meat. Not even the whole thing, right? Not the starter, the drinks, or the dessert. Just one piece of meat that would cost you more than your uh, honeymoon. You'd think, you're crackers, right? We are, we are living, we have been told, in a cost-of-living emergency. I, I, was, I was driving recently on my way to a ministry context, and I was listening to early morning radio, which is always a fascinating listen. Uh, and in that, a, a politician was being interviewed, and the politician said around about a dozen times, I lost count actually how many times he said it, he said, we're living in a cost-of-living emergency. And, and actually, the more I listened to him, the more this narrative of fear really started to grab me. It really started to get to me. And as I was driving the car, and I don't want to sort of like sound too super spiritual about this, but as I was driving the car, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. And I felt the Holy Spirit say this. Now, this will sound a bit frivolous to begin with, but hopefully you'll work with me on this. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, John, there is no cost of living emergency in the kingdom of heaven. Now, that can sound a bit, ah, do you know? a bit sort of super spiritual, a bit dismissive, a bit crass, but I felt it came like a word of hope, a word of life, 
word of peace. We've been singing about God bringing us a sense of peace and life and the answer to our fear, but that doesn't just come by magic. That comes through an understanding who he is and a grasping of his word to us. And both those ideas, understanding who he is and understanding his word to us, can in turn then bring us peace in the midst of the storm and can bring us a sense of hope in the midst of the cost of life emergency. Now, we read these amazing words of Jesus, and I'm suspecting if I hadn't have told you they were the words of Jesus, you would be listening to them slightly cynically. Because three times in that passage, Jesus says, do not worry. And you go, yeah, right. Now, you would not say that because you love Jesus and you're in church. And, and we wouldn't say anything like that. But, but actually, one of the dangers when we read a passage like that is we go, well, it's all right for Jesus. Right? It's all right for Jesus, God in flesh creator and sustainer of the universe, who can just like abracadabra pack lunch out of nothing. It's all right for the God of the universe to stand there on a mountainside and speak to peasants and say, don't worry. And actually, people have reacted to this passage in that way. Well, it's all right for Jesus to say, don't worry, but he was God in flesh. But actually, that's the point. And John made this point. He was God in flesh. He became part of our world. He subjected himself to our world, uh, to all the limitations that the world that he lived in would have represented to him. And actually, sometimes we can look at these amazing words and almost dismiss them in the 21st century because, well, it's all right for Jesus. But Jesus lived in the same world as us. And in fact, sometimes we can think, well, the first century world was like really different from ours. And, and Jesus has a different type of conversation with the people in his world. But when you look at the first century world, and there's a lot of phenomenal research out there which helps us now understand the world of Jesus, it was a world completely economically polarized. If you were rich in the world of Jesus, you really genuinely were rich. You weren't relatively rich. You were rich, rich, right? The rich were really rich in the world of Jesus, and the rich represented, scholars tell us, probably about 2% of the population. The rest in the world of Jesus weren't like middle income. You were either rich or you were poor. There was a general sort of peasant culture, subsistence culture. What do we mean by that? We, most people, 98% of the population, are living from hand to mouth. If they don't work, they don't eat. That's the world of Jesus, right? Uh, and actually, Jesus lived, did a lot of his ministry in the Galilee region. And, and I've had the privilege of, of going to that region and actually sitting on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. It's an absolutely beautiful place. And the Sea of Galilee is, is, is a, a beautiful place, not just to, to look and, and enjoy, but of course, in the day of Jesus, it was at the heart of the fishing industry for Israel. But what most people don't realize is that King Herod, who was a, a sort of a puppet king under the Romans, King Herod was given permission to tax the Sea of Galilee. And every fish that was caught was taxed. And in fact, the taxation rate at the time of Jesus for the Sea of Galilee was 50%. Five zero. It didn't go up in increments according to how many fish you caught. It was a flat rate 50%. So there's a beautiful story in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 5, where Jesus does a miracle, and not only is, you know, one boat filled, but two boats are filled, filled to overflowing with fish. Here's the thought, here's the thought. One of those boats went to tax. Wow. And Jesus, as the oldest son, probably became the chief breadwinner of his family. Jesus uses many parables where he talks about indebted slavery people who are not able to pay their debts and therefore become indebted servants to the person they borrowed the money from. And Jesus would have seen this over and over and over again. The world of Jesus was brutal. The world of Jesus was difficult. So let's just put a pin in that bubble and burst it, okay? 
Jesus is not living a way up there. He's living in a brutal, difficult, polarized world. He's speaking to a bunch of people that if this sounds like hocus pocus, they're going to get right in his face because they're living with the realities of everyday struggle, of just surviving. One or two people in the crowd listening to Jesus wouldn't need to worry about where the bread was coming from. The vast majority of them, 97, 98% of the people in that crowd wouldn't be certain if there was going to be bread on the table next week. Never mind next year, right? That's That's the context. And into that context, he says, don't worry. That can sound a bit frivolous, can't it? Do you think? You know, I, you know it's okay. I'm not gonna, not gonna pick on you. I'm not. There's not gonna be a thunderbolt if you think that. It feels a little bit frivolous. It feels like, ah, don't worry. That, it sounds like Jesus is just, ah, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Everything will work out in the end. It'll be good. But Jesus can't be saying that because that. That doesn't sound like Jesus. Jesus is not frivolous. He's not dismissive. He doesn't ignore the needs of the people around him. Jesus, in fact, is saying something much more profound and much more dynamic to that crowd. He's not just telling them not to worry. Actually, the word that's translated, do not worry, can literally mean take no thought. The idea there is don't allow this stuff to preoccupy. All right? Now, I think that's a slightly better way to understand it. Don't allow the stuff to preoccupy your mind. Be at the center of your mind. Because if the stuff's at the center of your mind, then actually you're going to be prone to anxiety. He's encouraging them not just to not worry, but to make a shift in their thinking. And I want to say to us that these Gorgeous ancient words that are 2,000 years old are absolutely super relevant for me and you today. If ever we, as followers of Jesus, if ever our society needed to hear words like this, it's probably right now. Someone said, my goodness, John, the interest rates are going up. We could be looking at 5 6%. And I reminded them that we bought our first house in 1988, a million years ago. The interest rates were 15%. Who remembers that? Okay, you'd, it's, hard to re, it's hard to remember because we've had, you know, generally speaking, good times since. But what challenges that is around us. Uh, inflation's going up. Uh, interest rates are going up. Fuel is going up. Everything's going up. In real terms, it's a challenge. And the danger is we can look at these words and go, that sounds like a fairy tale to me. Now, if it was anybody else saying it, but it's Jesus. (laughs) And because Jesus says it, I'm going, right, either I've got the choice to believe this or not. Either this is going to work, not just in the first century, but in the 21st century or not. And if it's not going to work, here's what we need to do. We need to rip that page out. Are you with me? This is, not, this is not a fairy tale, first century fairy tale. This is Jesus speaking to a first century world with truth that can change a 21st century world. Do you believe that? That's what we've been singing about this morning. The Jesus who spoke those words is the Jesus who died and rose from the dead. Yes? Oh, I believe he rose from the dead. But when it comes to not worrying about stuff. What? Come on, are you with me? You still love me? I'm not feeling the love so much, it has to be said, so I'm going to move on really quickly. Now, now here's the danger. We look at the words of Jesus, and the danger is this. It sounds a bit frivolous. Now, I hope that doesn't sound sacrilegious. It sounds like Jesus is just saying to the crowd, don't worry about it. But he's not saying that. And how do we know that? Because of what he says before this. So I was a bit naughty. I broke into this mini passage in this sermon at the wrong part. All right, And in fact, even my Bible translation encourages me to do it. Verse 25 starts with a heading in my Bible, do not worry. And it does a terrible thing. The translators have done a terrible thing. They've split the passage. 
And that's the mistake. And when I was in Sunday school, I forgot a lot of stuff I learned in Sunday school. But one of the things I remember my Sunday school teacher taught me was this. Wherever you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. That's so cool, isn't it? I went to Bible college and I still remember that from Sunday school. It's like, wow. Whenever you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. Now, I don't know if you remember uh, a little while ago, we started our passage in verse 25 with therefore, didn't we? So when you see a therefore, what do you do? Ask what it's there for. So here's what it's there for. So to, to find out what it's there for, we need to go back to verse 19. All right, now listen to these words. So this is really the start of the mini sermon in the sermon about worry, okay, and anxiety. Now listen to these words, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What? <laughs> no one can serve two masters. Either he can hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, or some translations have money. And then it says, therefore... Okay, are you ready? Need to fasten our seatbelts for this because this is really, really important. Jesus is not just saying, don't worry. Jesus is saying, change your thinking. Okay, now this is really, really important for each one of us. He gives us three little stages we have to think about before getting to worry about material things because the context of worry here is all around material stuff. Did you notice that? Everything Jesus is telling us not to worry about or not to have our thoughts preoccupied by is all material stuff. So the introduction to this bit where he tells us three times not to worry really is crucial to understanding what he's trying to say about stuff, okay? And he says three things about stuff. The first thing he says is this, verse 21, he says, where your treasure is, your heart is. Okay, now this is a really, really smart idea from Jesus. Here's what he's saying. Wherever your treasure resides, your heart is located. So here's what he's saying to the crowd. If your treasure is in stuff, the sort of stuff that you store up, the sort of stuff that then once you've stored it up, you've got to protect it from people who want to steal your stuff. If your treasure is in stuff, that's where your heart will be. Okay, that will become the center of your world. Now, interestingly, Jesus wasn't saying it was wrong to have stuff. Jesus was saying it was wrong to allow the stuff to become the treasure. Are you with me? That takes a bit of pressure off us, right? Because I drove here in a really nice car. And if Jesus was saying you can't have stuff, I'm stuffed. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to get here, all right? And I slept in a comfortable bed last night. Yes? And I had a bit of breakfast before I left home from bread that was in the bread bin, right? So, so I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not trying to ignore the fact we need stuff. Jesus is not saying don't have stuff. Nowhere is stuff prohibited. He's saying it's not wrong to have the stuff. What's wrong is when the stuff has you. Okay, first point. You're with me now? So where your treasure is, your heart is. Then he says this weird thing. Like, it doesn't seem to fit. I don't know if you sometimes read things in the Bible and go, what? So he says this middle bit. Look at this thing that he says here. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Hands up if you understand what he's talking about there. So you all went, amen, amen. And then we, what? What's he saying? It doesn't seem to make sense. Now, what really helps us here is understanding that Jesus is using a sort of local idiom picture here. And the picture is this. In the days of Jesus, if you were generous, a generous-hearted person, a good person, 
you were described as having a good eye. If you were stingy and didn't share, you were described as having a a bad eye. Come on, people. Come on. Stay with me. All right. So a good eye is generous. A bad eye is stingy. So suddenly two things are now colliding. He's saying this. If your treasure is in stuff, that's where your heart will be. If your heart is centered on stuff, guess what? You're more likely to have a bad eye. Well done. Why? Because you're protecting the stuff, keeping the stuff, looking after the stuff, making sure nasty person doesn't steal your stuff. Right? Are you with me? He's then saying, on the other side, if your treasure is in maybe something other than the stuff, and he gets to where that treasure should be, the kingdom of God, he said, if the treasure's somewhere else, then you're more likely to have a good eye. Marvelous. Come on. And so now the argument's starting to connect together. Where your treasure is, your heart is. And where your heart is, that will determine your, your, your eye. It will determine whether you are open-handed or tight-fisted. You with me? Then he drops the hammer. Boom. All right. This is the big one. This is monster one. He then concludes this way. He says, then no one can serve two masters. Literally two lords is the translation. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, here's really interesting. The only thing in the teaching of Jesus set up as a direct rival to God is it's mammon. Check it out. Say, John, that can't be right. Honestly, check it out. It's the only time Jesus makes a direct comparison to God. He says you cannot serve. He doesn't say cannot serve God and the devil, or you cannot serve God and yourself, or you cannot serve. He says you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon there means all that material stuff, which will include money, all right? So mammon is the stuff that's your treasure. Mammon's that treasure that's causing you to be tight-fisted. Mammon's that treasure that because of this has become your master. So it goes from treasure to master. Wow. And, and then Jesus says, therefore. Okay, so there's now a development of the argument. He's saying, where your treasure is, stuff or somewhere else or someone else, that's where your heart will be. If your heart is fixed on stuff, you're more likely to have a bad eye, and that bad eye will contaminate the whole of your being. And actually, that leads to a natural place where the stuff that's your treasure becomes your master. That starts to drive your agenda. And here's what he's saying as he moves in into the next bit. He's saying this, if that's the case, anxiety will always be with you. Come on, are you with me? See, he's not just saying don't worry. He's not saying don't worry about your mortgage. That would be frivolous. That would be irresponsible. He's not saying, hey, don't worry about feeding your kids. Like the birds will just drop food into their lunchbox on the way to work. No, no. He's not saying neglect your responsibility. That's how people have read it. He's, he couldn't be saying that. Jesus himself fulfilled his responsibility to look after his family. Jesus stepped up to the plate and put food on the table for his brothers and sisters and his mother when his father died. Jesus takes this responsibility. He's not just saying, don't worry. He's saying, listen, if, if stuff's your treasure and your eye is bad and money's your master, you're going to have a life full of worry. Yes? I remember seeing an interview with a very, very seriously rich man. I mean, a billionaire. And the, the person interviewing him said, what's your greatest fear? And he said, being poor. He's got more money. If he, if he lived 50 lives, he wouldn't spend all his money. But the fear was being poor. Why? Because that's where his heart is. That's where the treasure is. That's an inevitable fear. That's an inevitable. I'm not judging the man. It's an inevitable concept because Jesus said that's what's going to happen. 
If the treasure is in stuff, that's where your heart is. If your heart's there, that's where that will affect your vision and, and the way you behave. And if that happens, actually stuff becomes your master. But if you're prepared to relocate to somewhere else other than stuff, then you can literally move into a place of not worrying. And of course, what Jesus is saying is, let your treasure be in God, in the kingdom of God. If your treasure is in God, in the kingdom of God, you're more likely to be generous with the stuff you have. And if that's the case, it represents the fact that God is your master. And if God is your master, then we can genuinely look at the cost of living emergency and go, I will not worry. I won't allow the things that are preoccupying my world to preoccupy my thinking. Now, your neighbors need to meet people who are not falling over because of the cost of living emergency. You're, the people you work with need to hear a narrative other than fear. And that's not going to be because of abracadabra or because of your, your personality type. That's going to be because we're, we're getting rooted in this stuff. Our treasure is somewhere else. Now, listen, listen, I, I'm not living in a hole. I, I have a good standard of living, and I appreciate that standard of living. So I'm not trying to play some sort of hypocritical game here. But actually, it's possible to live in the 21st century world but not be preoccupied by the way the 21st century world thinks. You with me? Sure, is that making sense to you? It's making sense to me. Uh, and it makes sense to my life and to my world. That Solomon said, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. And most times we only quote one half of that proverb couplet. There's a couplet of proverbs there. So it says this, The name of the Lord is the fortified tower and the righteous run into it are safe. The next proverb says this, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. See what Solomon's doing there? And Solomon should know. Solomon was mega rich. <laughs> Solomon is saying that if God is our treasure, then he is our fortified tower, and we are safe. If money or mammon is our treasure, we believe that's our fortified city, and therefore we put our hope in that. Wow. Right? So don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not wrong to have stuff. Please don't hear that. But Jesus is saying, if the stuff has you, you will never be free from anxiety. Come on, are you with me? That making sense? All right. So, so let, me, let me just drop on the three little encouragements of not to worry. Now that we know that, here's the three little things that Jesus says. Because I think the worry stuff really makes sense if you understand his argument. Okay, And Jesus says, do not worry or take no thought. Don't let it preoccupy your thinking three times. He says it in verse 25, 26. He says this, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? And then he says this, look at the birds of the air. Now they're literally standing in the open air. He's doing this sermon in Galilee, which is a farming community, arable community. And he's probably going, look at the birds, look at the birds. Everybody, look at the birds, he says. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now that sounds like frivolous fairy tale, unless we get the first bit of the argument. Jesus, are you trying to tell me that like, like birds that don't go to work every day I've got to be like them. No, he's not. What he's saying is this. Look, look at the birds. The father that I'm asking you to put your trust in looks after them. Now, if your treasure is in stuff, you're going to really not take that argument seriously. But if your treasure is in the father who looks after them, then your conclusion is, well, if the father looks after scrawny birds... And we've been singing about it today. We are his sons and daughters. 
Come on, are you with me? Does that make sense? I, I actually live in a farming community in North, North Lincolnshire. The flatlands, little, little farming village. My house, in fact, was built on what was the front yard of the farm. And uh, so we're just surrounded by tractors all the time, dodging tractors. Very exciting. One day, potatoes fell off the back of the tractor, and the, the, tractor put, the, the farmer put on Facebook, all these potatoes have fallen off my tractor. I'm not going to pick them up. You can have them. I mean, people were like, it was excitement in our village. Let's go and get, let's go and get potatoes. That's the sort of level of excitement that happens in our village. But I need to, I need to tell you this. The birds in our village are fat I mean, we have wood pigeons that land in our garden that can hardly take off. I'm not exaggerating. Honestly, it's true. They're fat. And the bird song is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Any wonder they're singing? They're all stuffed. They're all full. They're, they're fat birds in our And on the days when I am tempted to be anxious about stuff, Honestly, I'm, you're going to think I'm making this up for the sermon, but I'm telling you the truth. In the days when I'm anxious about stuff, I look at the fat wood pigeons in my garden, and I think, if he can feed that fat wood pigeon, who needs to go on a diet, by the way, then he can feed me. Now, now if you don't take the treasure stuff seriously, that sounds like a fairy tale. That sounds like you're weird. And it sounds like irresponsibility. It's none of those things. It's connecting the dots of the argument. Does that make sense? He looks after the birds. He'll look after you. Secondly, the second uh, little mention of worry is he knows what you need. Look at this, verse 31, 32. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. But your heavenly father knows that you need them. Now here's what Jesus wants for you. Jesus doesn't want you to think like a pagan. How does a pagan think? A pagan thinks that treasure is God. And when you think the treasure is God, you're going to run after it. You're going to kill yourself to get it. Right? Come on. Come on, are you with me? Jesus doesn't want us to be like that. He's not ignoring the fact we need stuff. He addresses this right now. But he's saying, don't be like that. Don't have that mentality. If you have the mentality of the pagan, you're always going to be anxious. Because even, even when you have stuff, you'll think, I need more stuff. Right? And that's the challenge to us. But what does he say? He says, your heavenly Father knows what you need. Now, now please don't be offended by what I'm about to say. Note the language. Knows what you need. Look, can I just say this? And This is not going to be popular. It won't go down well here, and it won't, probably won't go down well to anyone who's listening to this. In all our conversation about the cost of living emergency, no one's talking about the readjustment of our expectations in society. In the West, we have a standard of living which is exceptional for most people on planet Earth. And some of that standard of living really is not sustainable globally, right? But we've got so used to that. What, ha what used to be a luxury now is a need. Is that, is that right? Am I, am I just making that up? I mean, you talk to my 21-year-old about her iPhone. Now, to me, my, my iPhone's still a luxury. It's like a powerful computer in my pocket. I hardly use it as a phone, right? To my 21-year-old, that's not a luxury dad. That's a necessity, right? I grew up, we never had a holiday. Now, if you don't have two holidays, what's wrong with you? Are you there? I know you don't like this, but, but it's a challenge to us. You know, I remember my dad taking me out for an annual dinner out. Fish and chip restaurant in Belfast on Christmas Eve. That was the treat. I got out to eat once a year. Now, if I eat out once a year now, people think, poor man. You're poor. Right? Something that was a luxury is now a necessity. Now, please don't be offended. 
But Jesus doesn't promise to meet our greeds. You still love me? He promises to meet our needs. I was young and now I am old, David says. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging bread. All right? I have not always, I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. All, you know, since I was eight years old, I'm now 56. So I've followed Jesus a long time. I have never always had what I wanted. But I have always, always had what I needed. Now, if stuff's your treasure, want is your driver. If God is your treasure, then there's a confidence that whatever I need, he's going to give it to me. You with me? Last idea and I'm done. Is this okay for another couple of minutes? Okay. I'm watching the clock very carefully. So um, I know that this is uncomfortable for some of you, but, but hopefully it will bless you anyway. The last little reference to worry, verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus, earlier on in the sermon, says, who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? So Jesus lands this by, by saying, look, look, don't be anxious about these things because when you are anxious, it doesn't help. You can't change a thing. By worrying about tomorrow won't fix tomorrow. By being preoccupied with stuff won't make my stuff grow, won't make you know, my mortgage decrease. That actually those things are simply a preoccupation now that consume my energy and actually ironically and terribly, and, 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 and it's really, it really is a terrible taskmaster, even though I'm consumed about thinking about it and worrying about it and it's preoccupying my thinking, all that real estate in my brain is not changing a single thing in my life. So Jesus said, so why do it? Now, without knowing the argument that why do it sounds frivolous. But Jesus is saying, if the kingdom of God is your treasure, that's where your heart is. Your hand will be open and generous because God is your master. And when the kingdom of God is your treasure... Jesus is saying this, you'll trust the Father to take care of you the way he takes care of birds. And if, if the kingdom of God is your treasure, you'll always have what you need, even if you don't always have what you want. Therefore, he says, seek the kingdom of God first. Seek that kingdom first and its righteousness. And all the things you need will be added to you. Wow, I love that. For me, this passage can sound a bit like a fairy tale. It can be dismissed very easily because it's Jesus, and it's the first century, and, and like Jesus is God, and the 21st century is different from the first century, and actually, this is just like, this is, like, this is, this is great for Sunday school, but this is not great for proper grown-up living, but actually, Jesus is giving us principles that can transform the way we think about our world and therefore the behavior toward our world. And if we can relocate our thinking to him, to the kingdom, to an understanding of who he is and what he said, it can transform our thinking processes around the stuff that's causing our world to be off the scale anxious. But somehow we can be delivered from that anxiety, not because we're frivolous, not because we're living on a flat world or living in a hole in the ground, but because we have changed the way we think towards those things through the ministry of Jesus. The lockdown began 23rd of March, 2020. That date indelibly imprinted in my mind and on the 18th of March, 2020, I was reading the book of Isaiah, just in my everyday Bible devotions. And in Isaiah chapter 3, I was just reading a verse about Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit took a verse and just quickened it to me. And here's, here's what the verse says. Tell the righteous, 
it will be well with them and they will eat of the fruit of their deeds. And it was such a powerful word. I literally wrote it down in my Bible. I could show you my Bible, not this one, my devotional Bible. I wrote the date and I wrote the promise and I went straight to Dawn and I said to Dawn, whatever happens this month, because we weren't quite sure when and how the lockdown was going to work, whatever happens, we're going to be okay. The Lord's going to take care of us. Everything's going to be okay. And it was such a powerful word. It became a life force to me for the next two years. And when the 23rd of March hit, my, I'm self-employed as a teacher. My, my calendar literally flatlined. Everything went cancelled. But I remembered the word, tell the righteous it will be well with them. They will eat of the fruit of their deeds. And in that two years of lockdown, we never failed to eat of the fruit of our deeds. Did we have everything we want? No. Did we have everything we need? Yes. In fact, in many cases, we had more than we needed, and we were able to share our more with those who had less. Not once in two years did we pull back on our giving or our serving or our ministry to the poor, or helping those that we're committed to helping. In fact, I would argue some of that increased in that season. Wow. How did that happen? No idea. In the same way, I have no idea how those fat birds get so fat. (laughs) But it's there. And Godnomics is different from economics. Economics puts treasure at the center and you become the slave. Godnomics puts God at the center and you become the son and the daughter that he blesses. And if we will have the courage to lean into that, I believe we can face the cost of living emergency with confidence, with peace, with hope. And that's not just good for you. That's good for the people you work with, the people you live with, and the people you've rubbed shoulders with. Because I'm telling you, they have never heard anything like this before. So Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough of its own. But seek first the kingdom, and everything you need will be added to you. That makes sense to you? Can I pray for you? I know I've gone over my time. Can I, can I pray for you? Would that be okay? If you can, would you stand with me? Thank you so much for being so patient and generous and listening to me. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity. But this, this is a word that's burning on my heart. word that I, I've shared with my family. A word that I remind myself of every day. When I hear the narrative on the radio, when I see our politicians struggling, when I look at markets crashing and pension pots diminishing, I think of the fat birds. And I remind myself, I am much more valuable than them. I look at the flowers. My wife has a bunch of flowers sitting on our dining room table. Beautiful, colorful, fragrant flowers. And I looked at them this morning and I was reminded that Solomon, who was mega rich, couldn't dress as good as those flowers. I look around at my world, at my neighbors killing themselves to keep their heads above the water. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't chase. Don't chase what the pagans chase. But chase after God. Chase after his righteousness. Put that first. Don't put treasure first. Don't put your wants and desires first. Put the kingdom first. As they chase treasure, you chase me. And he says, if you chase me, I'll give you all the things that they are killing themselves to have. Ladies and gentlemen, that's either a fairy tale, first century fluffy parable, or this is truth that can transform our minds in the 21st century world. And the challenge today is, will we take him at his word? Will we trust him? The one who rose from the dead, the lion who roared on that resurrection day, will we trust him? 
that if he can look after birds, if he can make plants beautiful, if he can give us what the pagans are killing themselves for, will we trust him? And in trusting him, live at peace. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. Help us. Help us, Lord, to believe you. Help us, Lord, to believe your word. Help us, Lord, to believe in the power of the kingdom that is greater than what we see and feel and touch. Help us, Lord, to live beyond the stuff. Help us, Lord, not to be mastered by the things around us, but help us to live beyond. Help us to live for something that is greater, for someone that is greater. And Lord, I pray for each of us that there will be an openness in our hearts to receive at one level the simplicity of this truth, but the profundity of this truth. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me for chasing stuff. Forgive me for chasing stuff that I thought could take the place of God, that could be my fortified city. Lord, help me, help us to chase you, your kingdom, to put it first. To put your righteousness at the center and to trust you that the God who makes the birds fat can put bread on our table. That the God who clothes the lilies can protect our homes. That the God who made the universe can supply our every need. And so, Lord, I pray your peace, your grace, your mercy, and your loving kindness on every one of my brothers and sisters. May the word of God live in our hearts and may the grace of God be our portion. In Jesus' name.